we just do an actual intro and like have it be somewhat reasonable? Can we yes. just try for I once guess. to like uh, have actual introductions? You're saying have this, structure. but you're the one who starts off. You, you're the energy center. So you're you right. have to set the energy right. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Movie Overload podcast. This is episode, I, th- I believe, 43 now. Well, we're, sure. We're, we've made it into 1972, wow. guys. Nice. We're here. Okay. This is our chronological watch of the 100 greatest films of all time, as decided by me, even though I haven't <laughs> seen all of them. Um, as starting by with, random yeah. critical consensus. Wait, exactly. You have uh, Starting with The Trip to the Moon, all going the movies, to Parasite. All everything the in between. In the world. You saw every movie and you I, picked 100. I've seen it. Almost Crazy. every movie. There's one I haven't seen. Whoa. Um, Which one? Well, it's kind of embarrassing. I haven't seen Dunstan checks in. Oh, so well then, like I, I think uh, that yeah. You just yeah. lost all your credit. I know. It's like I. Well, that's the thing is, as soon as I put put out the list, um, friend of the show Tim responded to the letterbox list and said, "Where's Dunstan checks in though?" I was like, that's a good point. It I, is a good point. I felt a little embarrassed, so I was like, it's number 101, haha. <laughs> but like, it, <laughs> I haven't seen it. It's number zero. So it's uh, it's it the best family comedy about a monkey? Question mark. Monkey. Well, I do really like MXP, True. most extreme primate. It's pretty good. I remember Curious George being pretty good when I was a kid. <gasps> the anime. That was really oh, sweet. that one was really cute with the Jack Johnson soundtrack. The Jack yeah. Johnson. Soundtrack. I saw that in in um in the theaters when I was yeah, I, I was I was uh, I was in preschool. I remember Me? actually. Too. I, I don't. To well, I don't think I was in preschool, but. And I remember coming back the next day and being like, I went and saw a movie yesterday, wow. except I think the way that I thought those words worked was wrong, because I think I said. What would I? I think it was like yesterday night, and then the night after that was, um, oh, what would, it was. I would say yesterday tomorrow to mean two nights ago. I, I don't know. When I was three, I wasn't very good with explaining. I days, would imagine. Okay, the concept of and time didn't fully make sense to me. Now but that for you're three hundred years it. old, living in a nebulous podcast <laughs> podcast void, you also don't understand the concept of language, uh, such as the fact that it is very important that they know that we're covering 100 films from A Trip to the Moon and Parasite and everything in between, except for Woody Allen, because fuck Woody Allen. Uh, we don't need pedophiles. That's the main well, point of the podcast. Yeah, we don't. The core theme of this podcast is us finding things problematic in old movies that everyone likes. That's definitely and what it, it's become. It would be less interesting if everyone already thought it was problematic because <laughs> the main dude did something. This is basically the movie podcast equivalent of those Tumblr, your fave is problematic blogs. <laughs> yes. Uh, we didn't intend it. Desperately didn't want, and we have a few episodes where we're fairly wholesome. We we really like. Sometimes we enjoy a thing, and we just try to talk about why it's nice and good. But other times we get caught up arguing over um, Ramona Flowers, even though that has technically almost no oh relation to what we're actually talking about. Yeah, uh, if there was an episode of the podcast, we could delete. Sure, it might be that one. It might I'm be sorry. that one. Although I was a, a, a absolutely one hundred percent correct in that oh, argument. Shut up. But, but <laughs> well, I mean, this is going to be wow. interesting this week because uh, The Godfather, I think, is a movie that all of us liked. I think all of yeah. us enjoyed all it. All of us got into it. Uh, let's introduce time. ourselves real yeah. quick before I'm we get into it so you know who it is. Aiden. I'm Piper. Aiden. I'm Piper. 
uh, Piper's over oh, there, actually. She I am does not have a microphone, but she is in the room with us. Yeah, we have a podcast dog, Puppy. finally. I am Hunter, Huntress. Oh. I am Mary oh. Elizabeth Winstead from Birds of Wait, Prey. Fuck. And I, I am Marco. Whoa. Damn. Not okay. Marco Robbie, unfortunately. Oh, okay, cool. I wish. Marga. Okay. Marga. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, cool. You can pronounce it Margit. That's how my Mar- p- family pronounces God. it. But when I moved out, I decided I wanted to be a little <laughs> bit more pretentious. <laughs> so I was like, oh, no, it's Margot. Margot. Oh, yes. um, yeah. So uh, well, welcome here to Mario. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know him too? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, we were joking about that earlier. Uh, yeah. Oh, um, we're joking about everything earlier. We, we have been probably talking. And some of it in front of a microphone for probably already like an hour in front of the yeah. mic. <laughs> yeah. Before so, we started talking recording. for it's, so long and we nine, haven't even started the podcast it's 9:30. yet. It's 930. We yeah. came over here to record at seven. Yep. Yeah. So we've been here for two and a We're half winning. hours talking. We had to talk about recording. other important things like uh, video games. The switch drop. Mm-hmm. There's, um, some, there's some stuff that happens. Yes, and good. other fun life things. Yeah. Uh, so I think all of us had an had a time watching this uh yes. did. throw back to the 70s movie was long as all hell yeah uh, another one of those yeah i think Un- unfortunately the 70s have almost as many of those for our list as the 60s do yeah except like we have gene dealman and that's that one is longer than any of the yeah. other ones we've watched so far wait what I- well, I'm. I want to watch at least two of her other films before we get there. The the Chantel Ackerman. Yeah. Yeah. But We're you know, there. I'll, I'll. I keep forgetting, and then I'll get mm-hmm. there and be like, I, I don't have the context I was wanting for this. If you follow along with our movies, you will be like somewhat into Criterion culture. <laughs> yeah. I guess at this point. Oh my goodness. I mean, we're always kind of a little bit shocked when a movie that we're covering is not on there. <laughs> yeah. Um, or Paddington 2? Paddington 2 should eventually be on there. Please. If I, it wasn't owned by um I don't think Criterion would have any problem releasing it. I think no, it's but just what's the, the distributor? The rights holder. Is I it, forgot that there was actually a comment about Dunstan Jackson. Oh, yeah. yeah no, that was wasn't not, a bit. That it was, wasn't a bit. It's that, true. That's uh, a re- real thing that I, happened. Why <laughs> would I lie to our <laughs> listeners? I don't know. It's just because why not? No, that's a good uh, point. <laughs> but I think Margo and I both fell asleep last night watching this and then we had did. to finish it <gasps> this yeah. morning. Should I talk about my experience? Oh, please. Oh, man, I want to hear this. <laughs> well, I mean, I already told you it's about it. It's time to confess. Yeah. Um, okay. I had a really dumb idea of how to watch this movie. Okay. Um, because I was going to watch it in the evening last night and some shenanigans happened, so I wasn't really able to for a while. And I ended up watching like 20 minutes of it before I had to go to work. Hmm. And I've started a new job where I work nights. And so I worked for four hours and then I knew that I was going to have an hour-long break. So I was like, oh, I could watch the movie during my hour-long break a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I was like, what? how will I accomplish this? And I, 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 I had a copy of, of, the mo- of the movie. And uh, I also recently <laughs> purchased a, a PlayStation Vita. Which is a did you? Vita. Did you and, actually... Um, I, I might have put the movie on the <laughs> on the Vita and took it with me, and I watched it on there in my car on my hour long break. 
At 2 a.m. So, <laughs> so what did the cinematography look like on a PS Vita at 2 o'clock in the morning? <laughs> it's pretty right. Okay. I thought it looked fine. That's some know. good Audio cinnamon. quality? Uh, it was okay. I had headphones on. Okay, okay. I had headphones plugged in, so it was okay. Um, that was decent. It was, it was not completely atrocious. I only got like 30 or 40 oh. minutes of it that way, but it, it was amusing. And I could, I could speed it up if I wanted to. I, I think cinema because purists up the frame rate, but. would kill you right now for like, you know, the people who are arguing or when gravity came out about like, yeah, this is great. But when someone watches this on their iPhone in six months, it's really going to like yeah. downgrade the quality I, of the art. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, like, I promise I watched. The if rest you're a purist about film, laptop. you probably don't listen or like this podcast. <laughs> Kids Special, these days, especially now, watching Sound of Music at 2.5 speed. <laughs> it's 2.7. Watching <laughs> The Godfather <laughs> on their PS Vita at on two the, o'clock in the, the morning in their car. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. It's yeah, brilliant. It is really weird. I don't know why. I, I probably could have. I don't know. I guess I could. How did you finish the movie way. though? On my laptop. Okay. Okay. It's a little bit more. Yeah. See, this was a movie that when I started, it, I was like, "Oh, I don't want to speed this up." Yeah. Which is why we're recording I when kind we of are. Didn't also, but God, I was so like. Yeah, tired. you kept pushing the record time back hour by hour as you realized you weren't <laughs> going to finish it. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna be honest. I I started. I watched it. I watched the first hour. Okay. Last night. Yes. And then I fell asleep. Because I started it at 2 a.m. as well. Okay, which is like, yeah. it's kind of hard to watch a three-hour movie when you started at 2 a.m. Yeah. I'm like, just being honest. I mean, I'm not, I'm uh, I'm honestly impressed. I called it quits at like 11. I, w- I was on. like halfway through the movie and I'm like, I am not going to make it through. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard. Uh, it didn't help that Anna was out here last week and I uh, did not sleep for an entire week yeah no i i'm i think i'm also still recovering a little bit it it's a whole thing but also the problem is that i also have a lot of work to like tonight i'm probably not gonna sleep because i have a class thing tomorrow and i need to basically read an entire novel oh god mike so what is it with and by basically i mean i do i need to read an entire novel age people and never sleeping uh, especially when random friends come out <laughs> from the podcast. There's too much who to we do. We couldn't even convince to watch The Godfather and record a five-hour-long episode or I wasn't whatever. Here happened. very long, and you guys are. That's true. She was here stuff. for like forty-eight hours. Yeah, <laughs> it was not enough. Time. Yeah, it it really wasn't. You guys but. were here for a little bit where we where we would otherwise record, but we were very busy watching Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Yes, yeah. that is what we did with our time on. instead. We watched Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey because of the Seventh Seal reference. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you guys still watched Columbus though, because I was like, Columbus. you guys were like talking about Columbus, <laughs> talking about watching good movies, and then I was like, oh, but what if we watched Bill and Ted? But I did it specifically because we had mentioned it earlier. So mm-hmm. And we watched one episode of Flowers. Yeah, that was Flowers. good. That was a good time. Cut all this out of the podcast. It is no. a tangent. Let's talk tangent. about the movie. Tangents are totally. Tangents podcast format fine. at this point they are but um but, the, but we are be? not entertaining or engaging enough to be able to pull them off let's <laughs> be honest no one wants maybe, to maybe. listen to our tangents as nobody we, wants to listen well, to anybody's tangents 
I okay. Every they podcast I listen to, yeah. I enjoy the tangents, and they yeah. get so many hate comments about tangents. What? This is just part of the That's podcast so world. I I also hear that like people I follow get shit. I think sometimes for, for something like that, but I'm just like, I am almost every time I follow someone, just like I'll get into someone because they covered a specific thing that I cared about and I wanted the take, but I was like, then it becomes just like, oh, you're just like a cool person. Yeah. I would listen to you talk about anything. Yeah. And yeah. then I do. And, and we're like, so cool. Right. Well, and we know that no <laughs> one listens be that. because we don't get hate comments. <laughs> true. We got we like we one, got hate one hate comment. comment. We got one that's hate true, comment. That's true, we did. I forgot Because of the Woody uh, Allen thing. I, because <laughs> assumed we'd ever some people like Woody Allen. I, I can, <sighs> I can understand we all have our problematic faves. All I'm saying yeah. is... This is the only Diane Keaton movie that you need hmm. on this list. Yeah. You didn't need to have another one. Do we have another one? No, um, but if we were going to have a Woody Allen movie, it would be Annie Hall. Oh, oh, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. I. Well, okay, yeah, let's, in this a little let's bit. not go into well, so, this. We have to like talk about this movie because people probably haven't heard of it. Of course, no people one's heard people don't know of this movie. Uh, really 1972, Francis Ford Coppola, studio movie. Massive, massive things going on behind the scenes. Whoa. Very famous. Uh, so, so it. much stuff to talk about. I actually don't I know. don't actually remember any of it. Oh, cool. I watched like a 12-part YouTube series on the making of and the background to all of this. And it was so much information, I can barely remember anything. That's super interesting. I wish that you remembered any of it. So it would be. I know. It would be interesting. Helpful research for the podcast. It would be cool. It'd be like the old days when we actually knew things about the movies. We used to so much know thing and like have thought. I had Wikiped. You did have Wikiped. Wikiped. It helped me. You know, when we started this podcast, I had a friend who said, okay, but when are you guys going to get to The Godfather? And I said, honestly, wait like almost a year. 1970s now we're there yeah it's been like and And so if you're listening hello hello (laughs) we made it we did it and i hope that you enjoy this although god it has been almost a year's worth of podcasts it has been oh we are coming up on a year yeah Yeah. i did not realize it had been that long oh god yeah and we've almost done as many podcasts without hannah as with hannah nice interesting which is also weird to think about because we were in our 20s wow yeah, with Hannah. Woo. There's okay, anyway. there's a lot here because we we started off uh, at the beginning of the major like cinema movements. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't cover many of the short films and stuff that came before a trip to the moon. And um, yeah, we didn't feel like we could have done like an, a day on like Edison or something, but like it's not that worth it. I took a I took a mm-hmm. class on that early film like mm-hmm. pre Keaton and. I it it is interesting, but I think the films themselves are less interesting than the stories of the people behind them. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. that's true. And I yeah. think that actually the new Hollywood movement for how like defining of American film it became the the whole narrative behind the shift is really interesting because the the major voices of of the major voices in the new Hollywood movement, Francis Ford Coppola is kind of unique because the the big people who came out of it 
were blockbuster filmmakers. Spielberg, Lucas. Lucas. Mm -hmm. uh, people who were making popcorn movies, essentially like the Avengers movies of their time. Yeah. Uh, except instead of being kind of a formula movie that is interesting by like changing the formula and everything Mar marvel movies are very different but also very the same they were like ah big bold new voices and you have francis ford coppola who comes in uh this is not his first movie he did a lot of directing before this movie but this is such an artistic statement and this is a major prestige player. This swept the Oscars, and its sequel nice. swept the Oscars as well. Nice. I believe at the time it was a record for like how big of a sweep The Godfather made. Jeez. Makes sense, honestly. Because, because, I mean, look at the cinnamon. Well, so you have the cinematography, you have the editing, you have the gorgeous score, and then you have some of the most iconic performances in American cinema. Mm -hmm. Marlon Brando as Vito Corleone, uh, who notoriously is a pain in the ass to work with. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that, actually. And, oh my goodness, he oh, is. Man. We, what's that documentary? About yeah, that one? The, the Island the of Dr. Dr. Moreau, Moreau documentary. Huh. Oh my goodness. Awesome. Oh, it's mm. so good. We should uh, watch that. Cause when did you guys watch that? Uh, I watched it with Keely forever ago. Hmm. Um, it's really fun though for a lot of reasons, but also partially just because yeah. Marlon Brando was attached to that project and was bonkers. It's mm. on Shutter. Steal my login info. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, but he is one of the more famous method actors mm -hmm. in, in American cinema, uh, and also he's just just weird and eccentric. <laughs> uh, he's not terribly professional. He is. <laughs> He comes into movies and gives like outstanding performances, but he is the type of actor where you're constantly wondering, is it worth all the shit that he's putting <laughs> everyone through to do this? Hmm. Like there are famous stories, like you know how is like he comes into the movie completely transformed, completely right. different character. He like stuffed cotton balls in his cheeks to hmm. give that like mopey look. The the makeup is doing a lot of work here, but the performance feels so lived in and he feels so much older than he is because he is not Vito Corleone age <laughs> really? when he's making this. No, he's much younger. How old was uh, Hunter, uh, you have the I internet. Can, Find the internet. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember things. things. That's like he is completely believable. Oh my goodness. I never thought, I never thought that it would have been makeup. It's, it is a just brilliant performance which is one of the things where you watch later movies that try and do like aging or de-aging, like Hollywood aging and de-aging now, a lot of digital stuff. And oh, you can buy it. You have like that bit in like, is it Civil War with Robert Downey Jr. that just looks yeah. so awkward and gross? Yeah. I, I'm not even thinking of... Oh, yeah, I, like I, I mean, there are some good stuff. You have like Kurt Russell and Tron Legacy. Um, Wait, that's not... Kurt. That was... Uh, um, Wait, Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Oh, Jeff like, Bridges. Like people, that looks really bad. I feel like people Rodell? don't like that. I thought. No, it looks really bad. Yeah. I, I, or I haven't seen it in a while, but I I thought it was okay. -ish. It it it's 
I think the oh no, I guess I guess yeah. the de aging is fine. It's yeah, it's, the, it's clue looks yeah. No, I, okay, no, clue. that is the de aging. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that looks like really bad. So that's yeah. the thing. So the de aging <laughs> itself looks bad. I think the performance for oh. the de aging is pretty all right. Yeah, yeah. But the digital de aging was a long way yeah. away. But you go into movies like. Martin Scorsese's most recent, like the yeah, Irishman, that's the big one. and people yeah. are making jokes about how they de-age Robert De Niro, but his like he's unable to mask a lot of his <laughs> like yeah. physical right. characteristics. Move like born from his age. Yeah, gotcha. I did think that. I don't know. I thought that movie had some pretty convincing effects. So like, the I effects are really it good. It's really so good, it's though. so long. I need to watch that. It's movie. the the it's effects. All right meets the performances yeah, right and here the effects look great but if the performance didn't sell it it wouldn't be nearly as believable sure I and think that, there's like, no seams to that performance at all well, that's yeah that's such a big theme in a lot of new hollywood movies going forward with like jurassic park and everything they are blasting through new barriers in the technology of what film can do what mm-hmm. film can produce but it's... I mean, Star Wars, obviously. We'll right, get there. Oh, yeah. Star Wars. Like, all sorts of things. But it's specifically how it's done that it's it's not able being able to be surpassed for so long afterwards. We watched 2001 mm. a few years back, and I, I don't think we have been able to produce something that looks that good since, that True. good of a vision of space. Yeah. Actually, that reminds me of something. Um, they recreated a bit from... 2001 it, it, it looked pretty good mm. for uh the super monkey ball trailer in <laughs> the e3 direct Wait, did they really really yes what the, the, the score goes and you see the planet and it cuts and it looks like it's gonna be a baby but it's the monkey in the monkey <laughs> ball. Oh, that makes sense and i flipped oh, out God. i was so loud oh, i was goodness. applauding so loud <laughs> that the dog was freaking out and like ran down and was like concerned that oh, i was dying man. I was so excited. They're basically putting through. They're like essentially packaging like a lot of content from all the old games kind of remastered into a new thing. And Monkey Ball has been like dead. Yeah. Like they just (laughs) destroyed it with anything with that. Well, they have. But the the first two games are hard. The other ones have rails like on the site. Like there's there's nothing interesting about the platforming. They're basically not interesting games at all. And they're bringing back like garbage mobile ports. Right. yeah. Yeah. But they're like bringing back like quality monkey ball but like yes. with some of the new aesthetic which is good cool anyway and yeah. they did the 2001 pit well and, and, and their director today was really good yeah that just reminds me of the this part a- when dates the episode sunny Cole- corleone like pulls up <laughs> to the toll booth stand and then gets like completely blown away bonnie and clyde style full on bonnie and clyde uh-huh. by like five ten guys with tommy guns yeah it was it was really startling to watch just like wow that's like you already see new hollywood influencing itself yeah like uh, barely a few years into the movement Um, you know that it's it's so much the same sort of image there yeah and this like just reminded me too that overall this one is kind of pushing the content limitations a little bit more Mm -hmm. like there's more more of that violence and shooting people and just showing the the blood and stuff and swearing and stuff. It's It's so willing to just show you like every time, cause I'd seen it once before, but I didn't really remember much, but like before every scene, I'm like, Oh, it's that scene. 
Like it's yeah. one of those movies uh-huh. that just has those scenes yep. in it. I yeah, I found myself doing that with at least a few. I didn't remember a lot of them. But when he pulls up to the booth, I was like, oh no, yeah. oh gosh, no, kind of forgot about that no. And then oh, obviously yeah. at the at the at the dinner table, yeah, is, is a classic. <laughs> right. Yeah, the it's bit where he goes up to the counter moments. and is talking to the guy, and then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of famous not, violence, and the guy like glances behind him real quick, and you're like, and you see his eyes do that, and you're like, uh-huh. oh no! And then he gets, yeah. he like, yeah, gets down and closes the window. And stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he knows oh, that that well, that too. I, yeah. I was talking about at the bar I don't when know the when the the bartender like Heck. stabs the guy's hand, and another guy oh, comes behind yeah. him and like, shoot, yeah, and then they like sell, photos. they like send his, yeah, uh, what is it, his like his his bulletproof vest but like with a ra- with a fish oh, yeah. wrapped around it Means oh yeah and he's swimming with the, with the fishes yeah. yeah yeah that's pretty good yeah well and a big thing i don't i don't i've noticed this actually listening to the podcast i have a tendency of starting each phrase off really loud and then <laughs> because I, I guess i feel the need to interject i'm I'm gonna. I'm trying to fix that because it annoys me every time I listen to <laughs> Sorry. it. It's okay. There's a big thing in this this whole movement that I think is the biggest spiritual like push against the mm. old restrictions in Hollywood, where they have uns they have sympathetic yet morally dubious protagonists. Mm-hmm. They're a part of the the Hayes Code, and a lot of restrictions in early Hollywood was a strict moralizing, where if people did bad things, bad mm. things had to happen to them in the end. The bad guys can't win. They can't be portrayed as sympathetic because it, it's sort of a view of cinema as strictly corollary. If you right. see someone do a mafia crime and you don't see them being the bad guy through the whole thing, people might get the wrong idea and think it's it's good and A-OK to do mafia crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, you know how everybody did, like, I don't know, coke after, or heroin or whatever it was after watching Requiem with a Dream? Requiem for a Dream, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> Requiem with did I say with? with yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're, you're doing great. That's yeah. fun. I Hold, hang in there. <laughs> I can't. As, you, you know that thing when they do drug and it's yep. movie? Yep. And it's, it's movie? movie? And it's yeah. got Jared Leto for some reason and Marlon Wayans, which Is I didn't really? know. I only knew really? Jennifer Connelly was in it. And then I watched the trailer the other day. Weird. Interesting. Interesting. I haven't seen that movie uh, because it seems like an endless bummer. Yeah. Uh, and even though I like endless bummers, I've never gotten around to that one. You do like Ashley. I don't like Ashley. But I find that movie painfully interesting because I was actually just thinking about this. It is the most derivative movie I think ever made. It it just it feels every aspect of it is taken from something else and it really highlights what cinema is by just taking other pieces of media and kind of highlighting how weird it is, how much we like seeing women tortured, like emotionally and physically in dramas and films. Like So in this movie, the, the movie is a patriarchal movie because the movie is about a patriarchy. 
that's kind of just what the movie is. Mm. And like when I'm thinking about it in my head, I'm like, yeah, it's uh, very much told from a cis straight male perspective. And like in theory, it's fine for a movie to be told from that perspective, but also most movies were and or are. Yeah. So you feel that and it may it makes me want to be like, ah, but this movie is bad then. But also the movie is good. It is it is. It is as a piece of cinema so thoroughly compelling that the fact that all the female characters are there for <laughs> is to act as apart from it it with Michael Corleone's um like wife she has a which one a slightly more the one who doesn't <laughs> die horrifically <laughs> in this movie yeah um it has a slightly different a different quality to it the rest of the the women in the movie are there as props yes for for the action uh props for you know causing things to happen they don't have much character in and of themselves yeah they are just kind of there because this movie is about the men and yeah. how their specific patterns of uh toxic masculinity and yeah. grip like hard grip on maintaining power is kind of killing them as right. people like it is like pretty much always shown negatively i feel mm -hmm. like like yeah. i don't know like with obviously there being like an abusive husband in there mm -hmm. and sort of mingling with that sonny's uh just tendency to lash out when he's upset at things mm -hmm. yeah. and like that gets him killed <laughs> there are and so many moments like, where we're dealing with cool yeah. powerful men mm -hmm. dying in glorious meaningless deaths yeah. because they're caught up in this right. and i think one thing that rubs me a bit of the wrong way is the cultural legacy of this movie <laughs> is mafia cool that's so. kind of the thing you get from your dad's friends who bring up yeah. the moth the godfather is the best movie tri mm. trilogy ever made or like the that's godfather people, and the godfather part two so great that's why people like goodfellas is my yeah it's uh, just because it's because we just they just like the mafia Ma mafia right. cool like all of these are good well put together movies and the craft on display is astounding mm -hmm. uh but they are very much Hollywood movies. They're movies that couldn't be produced outside of a studio system throwing millions of dollars at them to produce it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, every bit of that movie, you're like, that's a budget. Like, they have all these oh, cars. Yeah. They have... It's a budget. Everything. They got yeah. specific Sic Sicily cars that don't have rear-view windows on the sides. Huh. I don't know why yeah, that, that stood out to me, but huh. when Michael goes to Sicily and is hanging out in Sicily, none of the cars have rear-view windows. Huh. 
like mirrors, yeah. not, not windows. Like, they have windows. <laughs> yeah. They don't have rear view mirrors anywhere. And I was just thinking about like th- if they, like I, I, I'd imagine if there were more cars on the road, they'd get in horrific accidents or something. It, yeah. I think it only works because not very many people seem to own cars. In Swarty, Sicily, yeah. It's it just like, oh yeah, it's it's kind of fancy, so you don't even need to see who's behind you. <laughs> no need to look at the pores. Just straight on ahead. Yeah, still figuring out safety yep. things. Whatever it is. Uh, but you have that stuff and those things. And... Uh, my brain turns off occasionally, this and I just talk. Sh- this should be a visual podcast. Yeah, so yeah. they can see me flailing about randomly. Yeah, the flailing is pretty good. The flailing is great, as I'm trying to figure out like what I was wanting to talk about. Because like, I, I don't, I don't know, know why, but like Francis Ford Coppola like just really works for me. Yeah, oh, the first time I watched it, I was like, this is good, but I was expecting it to be, like, the greatest thing that I've ever seen in a way that I could never. And yeah, it didn't feel like that the first time I watched it, but the second time I watched it, this time, I was like, oh, no, I actually get it now. I, I had the same experience. I, I've heard a lot of people, I remember going to lunch with the friend that, that Margot and I had, who was, we were both in a band with at various different points in our lives, unconnected not the same band well i mean it technically was technically the same band. was the same band uh <laughs> it, had it changed names. a lot it's like a weird like it changed neo genres. jazz outfit by the time you came around yeah no it was started off as a bad green day ripoff <laughs> no yeah it became like almost like kind of a cream ripoff when i was in it weird yeah but we got together for lunch because we'd occasionally do that and he's like, my dad made me watch The Godfather the other day, and it was the worst movie I've ever seen. And I was like, huh. oh, I guess it might just be overhyped. And I watched it, and oh my, oh my, oh my. <laughs> it is so specifically gorgeous. And the reason why the story itself, like mafia movies, don't really hit me where I live mm-hmm. unless they have a visual aesthetic that I find compelling mm-hmm. and like, a, a, and or like an interesting twist like there is this uh kim ji-woon film called uh a bittersweet life which is like a, a mafia yakuza type movie nice that is uh i love sorry for the tangent but it i love it because it is about a very like repressed man murdering an entire crime crime family because he can't admit that he has emotions <laughs> I love that movie so much, but <laughs> this movie, the visual aesthetic of it is just this this warm cinema like film look that very much captures that like the when I think Italy, I think that sort of like warm tungsten look and it makes it it has just the way it's lit, there are shadows over people's eyes so often as like these hard contrasty things. S- many, many scenes shot in the most gorgeous silhouettes where they're just like in a dark room that's mm-hmm. still like lit. And then the the exposure of the cameras and everything is set to a way where the light coming in from the outside is like blinding, glowing light that kind of like consumes and overwhelms the characters as they're walking out into it yeah 
It oh. it's hard not to be like <laughs> when a film is oh, is as long bullshit. as it is and as like narratively cohesive and well paced and everything as it is, but also like legitimately and it's like I know it's like a phrase that people use, but like like literally every frame feels like a painting. Mm. You know, like when it's just so well done visually in that way it's it's hard to not enjoy it like Mm -hmm. i guess Mm -hmm. what i'd say is if you haven't seen the godfather and you want to know if it would be your thing and you don't normally like long movies or you don't normally like gangster movies or whatever watch the opening scene and if it doesn't work for you from that point it probably won't work for you never work for you yeah it it really is just that it's that much of it it's not like wait wait for it's gonna get good because the plot's there and the plot works and whatever that's good about the movie is there it's just there from the the beginning like you can watch that movie in a microcosm and it be that that's fully representative of the whole in a weird way that a lot of other movies aren't well and people who talk about gaming like i'm specifically thinking of like tim rogers or something talk about a vertical slice vertical slice vertical slice where it's a section (laughs) that incorporates like all the mechanics Uh and everything and most movies don't really have that but the godfather i think that opening scene at the wedding with uh it's cutting between the wedding outside and the interior room where vito corleone is having a conversation uh with with someone who's coming in to, with a few people with a few people uh, specifically a mortician who's coming to ask a request and that just kind of in the opening and i think most films that work really well in this typical hollywood narrative sense are able to establish all of their themes and visual motifs and everything at least partially just in that opening sequence mm-hmm. and they just hook you there it, it just kind of sets up the like the dynamics of the way the world and the characters mm-hmm. work too. Like it gets you very clued yeah. in. Like it's not like these guys are like hitmen. Like there's more nuance. It's not just like oh yeah, if you just like do whatever, I'll just take, I'll just take people out. Like it's like no, there's a lot more going on there. There's this focus on honor, yeah. right, and, and like on the and family, friend, like relationships and, and respect stuff within that. Yeah, and friendship. You gotta be my friend. Me with respect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, there's yeah. just all that extra layer to it, which is at least it, it felt to me kind of unusual. Like, I'm not used to seeing stuff like that. Yeah. Well, like, even though I'm not super into, like, the patriarchal form, and, yeah. and even though I watch, I mean, I, I'm so conditioned by my reading of Kurosawa that I don't watch samurai doing the, like, typical kind of, like, following Bushido code honor mm-hmm. thing and yeah. think, Good, cool. <laughs> right. Something about this does work for me, even though it's problematic. Yeah, and, well, but like you get to see, it's a weird, it's a weird thing because the way that I watch this movie is like, I like I value some of the elements and it works for me, mm-hmm. and also it's it's bad. Like it's yeah. like this weird <laughs> both. I, but the only like, thing is, I I feel like the reason that I see it being as bad as it is is because. It's because of Michael's position and everything. Yeah. Because he's outside of it, and that's mm. a good thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And even there Vito are good guys that's within a good it. thing. But then you see <laughs> that he's outside of it, and that's yeah. good. Right. And then he gets into it, and that's bad. Yeah. And he takes. And, and, to and it even Don Corleone easy. doesn't want it for him. Oh, yeah. uh-huh. That's and it. What's oh. such an interesting yeah, thing really because cool stuff there. It's it's established at the beginning of the movie there when uh, Vito Corleone is like, 
out at the wedding and everything that Michael is like the child that he's most proud of and it's he's kind of his favorite child and it's specifically because he feels like he's able to escape the family system Mm -hmm. because the core like hope at Vito Corleone's heart in this and kind of the tragedy of the whole arc of this film and the trilogy in general is that they all want to, they have this hope in their heart that someday they will make it clean. They will be able to break out of the crime industry and become respectable members of American society who are able to hold legitimate power as opposed to this sort of underworld power. And he is Governor proud of his Corleone, Senator Corleone. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you can just see it when uh, Vito Corleone wakes up from his coma after being mm, shot, yes. and he hears that like Michael was the one who uh-huh. committed the revenge act. You can just right. see his like, heart break yeah, like, a bit. Yeah. He's hearing about the that the fact that it happened, and he's like, he seems okay. He's like, all right, yeah, we killed some people. That's probably not ideal, but like, okay, fine how is Michael specifically? And they're like, yeah, he's the one that did it. And then he's like, God, you just see everything in that performance. It's It's, okay. That's the thing is, is like, (laughs) I love Al Pacino. Like I I know everybody does, but like after watching dog day afternoon, I love Al Pacino. Oh yeah. And then Mm, watching this movie, I'm like, yeah, Al Pacino, good and stuff. But like, oh my gosh, my favorite character in this movie is so predictably Vito, <laughs> but like there, there's, there's such a, and then you Dude. get to see him be a grandfather in like that, that yeah. gorgeous, oh, yeah, gorgeous, man. gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous final moment. It, I mean, which does really feel like it, that plays into just the themes overall of just yeah. the kind of family notions of having him, like not having him die being gunned down by rival mafia people, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, he just dies being a, grandfather like yeah that's his moment that's the thing that actually it does i think that's the reason why all of the like the mafia shit works for me in comparison to things like bushido or like even like prequel era jedi which is actually a a similar comparison i think right but a lot of those things are like things that are generally maybe romanticized and viewed positively yeah that have bad spots within maybe they're so like, like the opposite well, yeah, but they're also like so highly structured and yeah. and strict to to an extent that it's actually its own kind of problematic and just creates avenues where it's like an it's a it's a code of ethics where the only good thing is following the rules. Yeah. Um, versus this, mm-hmm. which is a very like non ethics kind of ethics. It's more like yeah. what's gonna hurt to do like yeah like well they're gonna get me if i do this thing so we don't do this thing and it, and it's all of these rules of like figuring out how to survive mm-hmm. right mm. but it's also all of it's there for family in a in a way that like is you know you know you want to say family like it's a like it's a fast <laughs> and furious reference yeah or something. yeah yeah but yeah but it's like, like it's there in a way that actually feels kind of profound like something about i don't know if if you've ever been in a dysfunctional family or whatever there is something about this movie and the way that family is in this movie that is somewhat appealing in yeah. a weird way right i like, think th- like there's actually some sorry. amount of safety 
I I was just gonna say like I I think yeah like that makes it just the way that the characters feel and work and their performances and everything work like makes that work mm-hmm. and the way that that all gets played with like everyone just I don't know I guess that's been my one of my big takeaways just feeling like the characters really work in this mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense yeah but just like well yeah no they all have their roles and fill certain spots that are really interesting but yeah like it's the family aspect feels like it's able to make it more personal for a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually what's like different. It's, it's like, it's not just like someone's dying. It's like, that's my son. Like, yeah, or that's my dad. Like that's going to hit really hard and it gets a lot mm-hmm. of big reactions out of people. Mm-hmm. It's like, but that's also yeah. what makes this different than a lot of other gangster movies for mm-hmm. me is a lot of other gangster movies have the, like, you know, it's not, it's not, per, you know, it's not personal. It's just business yeah. type idea. <laughs> through all of them yeah. and a lot less of family dynamics mm-hmm. and that that makes it feel a lot colder and i'm not i'm not referencing yeah. like any specific movie it's just yeah. a, a, a general thing that i've seen with a lot of like post this gangster movies well i'm curious what movies you're thinking of in specific i'd have to i'd, I'd i'll pull up a list and just yeah. like go through the ones that i have seen but this is at least in the ones that i have seen this stands out a little bit more for the way that it feels like um Oh, what was I going to say? I totally lost it there. Well, no, I, I get what anymore. you're like doing. I, I was do that. Yeah. I was no setting up a lot. I was setting up so many like, thoughts, but also trying to defend all my thoughts before I, so I said them. So then I lost ticks. all my thoughts. <laughs> I, I think your, your take is coherent and good. And I also agree. And also I think that's one of my main problems with the movie because the movie is so compelling and because it's so engaging with the characters and the story and everything, it kind of undermines what I at least read as the core message of the movie, which is that this is a tragic tale, that this family is ruining itself and these specific dynamics are causing the this unstable system to implode where everything is constantly uncertain. It is, it's trying to paint the image of a inglorious life that you, that you aren't supposed to necessarily aspire to, but by nature of being so good at being a movie about family and about these characters I think that's kind of why this movie has the reputation of being kind of pro-organized crime. Mm-hmm. Like, it makes, even though it, it paints it in a bad light, it makes it so compelling. Well, you root so much for the family to do well and the family to survive and for them to be okay that then you're, like, doing, honestly, what happens to characters in this movie where you're having to accept the crime and you're having Mm -hmm. to accept a lot of the danger and the Mm -hmm. stuff that you don't like you're kind of put in the exact same position as diane keaton's character because you're an outsider but then you're brought in and you love these people (laughs) and then and then you have to just kind of submit yourself to it you see al pacino and he lies to you and you accept it because you need to because if you if you don't see that there's like something in there that that like makes his behavior excusable you you can't accept that there there's just this it's 
yeah ah inside you, you and I, I actually think it's really interesting I, I when i watch this movie i latch onto Vito's wife mm. because a whole lot. she's not there a lot mm-hmm. she doesn't have like almost any lines she has mm-hmm. some singing lines mm-hmm. um <laughs> but the majority is just her being happy and being a completely normal person yeah and you're like that's what this is and that's what this is all about. Uh, I, I mean, but, it, it but does, it's that, that's what yeah. it's all about in a weird way. But it's like, but, but, yeah. Going but it back also to doesn't going back to the opening scene. This. That is like kind of how the thesis is visually presented in the movie. Mm-hmm. There's the wedding outside, a perfectly normal family wedding, and then there's the dark room inside where people come to ask illegal or dubiously legal fa- favors of Vito Corleone because the Don cannot refuse a request made on his daughter's wedding day. It's it's just such a weird, like, it's, it's, it's the dark room that enables the wedding, but also the wedding is kind of hindered by the fact that the dark room is there. Yeah. And, it, and, and so... There can be no joy without <laughs> the insane amounts of wealth and power from the crime organization but also there is no safety in this life there is no stability mm-hmm. and it can fall apart at any moment yeah yeah and that's and that's obviously evidenced by Vito getting shot mm-hmm. by Michael being sucked into it and by Connie's spouse being the absolute worst human being in the history <laughs> yeah. of ever yeah well you we know? start off with that that happy marriage and everyone's happy and then we go into the film later and we realize that it's the, the man she's getting married to is, marriage. oh my gosh. Is, but that also makes me think the, sorry, brief side note, the way this movie effortlessly does time gaps mm. is wild. Yeah. Like, kind of a lot of them. Yeah. It covers a vast anyway, swath of time sorry, and it flows. Yeah. It really yeah. Is. They make it work. Like a river. But yeah. No, uh, hus- husband, bad boy. He's a, He's a bag of poop. He okay. That scene really is not is not cannot watch that scene. <laughs> no, cannot handle it. I'm too sensitive for that scene. Um, I I just I I'm caught in that like mirrored door. He like chases mm, her into the bedroom, mm. and she like runs into the bathroom, which is mm-hmm. behind like this mirrored door that is built into like the head frame of the bed mm-hmm. and he runs through it and just swings back and forth just violently and you're just hearing the screaming and you can only see like slight hints of what's happening and the implication is just so much worse yeah. than like whatever you you're picturing there you just get that implication that that vision of violence occurs here and it just makes so much more of an of an impression than Mm -hmm. violence actually happening on screen does Mm -hmm. (sighs) fun times i'm just just saying i need to suppress my memories of the scene all i can okay cool (laughs) i like robert duvall's character also yeah Yeah. Uh uh-huh he's very interesting I've only, I, like, I didn't realize it was Robert Duvall because yeah. I've, like, only seen him in, like, uh, old yeah. man roles, you know? Yeah, that's how I feel about, like, everyone in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, all people I've seen as older 
yeah, books like, in more recent stuff, and then they're all babies here, and it's like, wow. Mm-hmm. It's it's Baby. a bit crazy. There's also uh, the police chief is the insane general from Doctor Strangelove. Oh, I haven't seen that actually. I either, but I he didn't even put it on the know. list. Yeah, why we, could we, we put? We couldn't put that one on the list. Do, no, we couldn't. And it, yeah, I think 2001 is a better pick. Yeah. yeah, but people really love that movie. Right. So I'll watch. You know, I know people eventually. love that movie. I'll get to it because I want to see that bit from The Simpsons. You've already seen that bit from The Simpsons, though. You know, where he, he's got the cowboy hat and he's, like, falling on the yeah. nuke. But it's Homer. <laughs> I want to yeah. see that bit, but but not Homer. <laughs> Actually, no. no, I just want to watch the bit with Homer Ooh. again. So, I know that there are, must be Simpson bits that crib uh, scenes from The Godfather. Oh, for right? sure. I have seen bits of The Simpsons. Uh, it. I'm surprised how little it works for me. Because I didn't watch it at all as a kid. I wasn't allowed to. And then I tried to go back to it. And I think that even like classic Simpsons just doesn't, hasn't necessarily main, maintained that like power that it used to have, I guess. Yeah, it probably had more power than it. I don't know because I watched seasons two through eight. Or I mean, I I, did, I saw I watched seasons one through nine, and I loved seasons two through eight, and I like cried at episodes in season five. I liked them so much. I don't know. It, it really that show really does work for me. It works for most people, it seems, from the internet and life. Uh, I could never get into it. Uh, so are there what Simpson? Are there any bits off the top of your head that you're like what from are the, the Godfather? Iconic, what are the iconic moments from the Godfather? That the Simpsons cribbed. See, I can think of like Kubrick bits that they ripped off. I can think of like even though you haven't seen any Kubrick movies except for two thousand one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they they ripped off that too, but they they also rip off uh, uh, the the uh, the the mashup of uh, Amadeus and and Planet of the Apes. Yes, I have <laughs> seen that. It's my favorite thing. It's a great bit that's ever happened, I and I quote it way sometimes. too often, and it drives everybody nuts. <laughs> um, I brought that up with someone the other day. The, like Doctor Zayas, Doctor Zayas. Yeah, I was like, yeah. <laughs> just, oh man, it's so funny. Uh, and then obviously, like they do lots of uh, spoofs of movies. The, the, I did watch an episode like way later because they went to Sundance and like uh, Jim Jarmusch guest stars. Interesting. Yeah, like they they do a lot of weird movie reference stuff. Well, yeah. So I've seen but, a good chunk of The Simpsons, just hasn't really worked for me. But I'm I'm just curious what the because they've got to they, be there. This movie is one of those movies that just has bits from it that have completely just moments lines images that are or like what the entire weird gerbil section of zootopia or whatever yeah yeah or like they what are the they first part. I think something like uh, yeah something like yeah. that yeah it's it's just really? the godfather uh-huh. yeah um they it's so easy to reference i i find the cultural legacy of certain movies just really interesting in what the movie becomes in the cultural consciousness. It's listening to me because I started to type Godfather (laughs) references and the first thing that came up was Simpsons. Interesting. (laughs) Okay, it's got to have, make him an offer that he can't refuse, right? There is a horse in, in the horse head in a bed. Horse head in the bed. 
Uh, what are other like? Oh, they did a bit where it looks like a guy is getting shot. He looks like he's um, what's his name? Um, Sunny. There's yeah. There's a bit where they're all. Uh, let's see. Where's some some more? I think the uh, the fish in the jacket. Swimming with means swimming with the fishers. I think I've seen that other. Places. I mean, every scene with Fat Tony. That's a good point. It's a whole character who's just like super godfathery. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. Okay. I, that's what I was thinking. I was like, there's got to be some bit where Homer's like daydreaming, like he's a character in The Godfather. Mm-hmm. That happens. Mo uh, puts a cut up orange in his mouth and like does that whole thing. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, um. Yeah. I'm thinking of something that referenced something. Well, so with some of these famous movies that we're we're covering here that are like cri- critically and culturally insanely impactful, what the movie actually is is completely eclipsed by what the movie becomes in the the mindset of the culture. Like a bunch of people probably rewatch The Godfather and a bunch of younger people are probably watching it going into it with the always disappointing best movie ever made sort of mindset sort of thing going in. Oh, there's a bit where uh, Bart, yeah, that's the thing. There's a bit where Bart gets off the bus and gets attacked by snowballs and it's like, it's, it's ah. like, yeah. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, it's fine. Yeah. So they're endless. The Godfather the film by Francis Ford Coppola is a thing, but The Godfather, the the concept is something different that we all have like just experienced from our childhood growing up. We see bits from the oh, movie, and yeah. that's just it, it. This movie kind of defines what the mafia is in yeah. the public conception along with movies like Goodfellas and it also Casino. just kind of defines what movies are <laughs> to us. Yeah. Like, like it's, it's weird cause you watch this and even coming up all the way through like the history of cinema and, and you know, it's very easy. To, it, what I try to do when I watch these is look at everything in context of what we watched previously, but there's mm-hmm. something about this movie that's just like, this is sort of like, I just know that this is everything that I've been trained to want in a movie. Mm. And it just, it fulfills that no matter how much I know that that's just my training. <laughs> like I know mm. what movies were like before this and I know what movies are like after this. And this still feels like that, like just, just, just the most satisfying version of the American studio film. Yeah. Like honestly, all of the American movies before this unless they're doing something really out there and are interesting, like, mm-hmm. like the night of the hunter or, or, or citizen Kane or something. Yeah. It was a different kind of like, Whoa, this is electric. This is unlike anything else I've seen, mm. but this is like, no, this is all that stuff that we watched before and all that stuff we're going to watch after. But, but, but this is, this is the epicenter of, of where it all meets itself. This is in the way that we want for so long. People were trying to replicate. This mm-hmm. was, the gold standard of American studio filmmaking. And it kind of feels like the painting scene back before the 20, the experimental movements of the 20th century Mm -hmm. where you had like the romantic era 
and all paintings were gauged against this sort of ideal painting that's sort of hypothetically in people's minds. Mm. Sure. That, that, at least when you look back on it and I like hear people talk about it and see the different debates that were happening at the time from the perspective of a college history class or whatever, you just get that perspective, that, that, that image that like everyone wanted art to be a specific thing. And it, in some ways it created a lot of like good art that was very similar to mm-hmm. like the ideal of art at that point. Yeah. But at the same time, it very much limited the saturation of art that's different. That's, but, well, that's that, just but that's going for something thing, completely different. Is that the way that stuff would work is it would be like, no, there's actually kind of a, there's a new artistic movement that's happening and we're kind of trying to create this new sort of platonic ideal of the thing, but within sort of the confines of, of, of this movement, because this is what art is mm-hmm. and, and that would change. But what's interesting about this that's different, and that's part of part of the fact that film movements are so fast comparatively to art mm-hmm. movements or literary movements or whatever, that's so fast and we've had such a small amount of time to have so much happen. Yeah. But what's interesting about this is that it's able to, I think, transcend its movement. Because sure, this is obviously, it came out before a lot of the new Hollywood movement had happened mm-hmm. and it's the gold standard of the new Hollywood movement. However, it transcends that. Like, it, it transcends its movement. It's not the gold standard of, of New Hollywood. This is the gold standard of what a lot of people just think movies are. This is the gold standard of what the American studio film is. It feels like you have Rebel Without a Cause and all these things that we've talked about before leading into this moment. This is done in this way that then everything's trying to copy afterwards and and the things beforehand to us now feel incomplete in a weird way. Mm-hmm. And I again I don't I don't feel like that with like, you know, we, we're watching French New Wave or we're watching German Expressionism or something. And all of those feel complete and interesting in their own movement ways. But when we talk about American films, it's so heavily centered on what this film ended up being. Yeah. And I think that that's mm-hmm. incredibly unique. It it does just feel like as yeah like as far as like western or american like narrative stuff just pretty straightforward kind of movies go like yeah like on every pillar this just feels like it's this is it it's it's like i don't know like it's got it all (laughs) yeah like they like if if people believed in the idea of the platonic ideal form they would really think that like francis ford coppola just kind of happened to transcend into the that spiritual realm and just and pull this out of it in that way yeah which is it's kind of insane how fraught the development and production of this is Mm. and of the film was and how in in, insane the the possibility of this movie even like being released as opposed to even being great was I, i remember hearing stories about just the negotiations for the script because they weren't allowed to say the word mafia Hmm. in the script Hmm. uh, because of the rights uh, with the book and everything. And they just kind of, um, and they, they had a bunch of restrictions on it and they just kind of bluffed their way through it. 
and hoped that the lawyers wouldn't read the entire script, and they didn't. Hmm. And they... Francis Ford Coppola was constantly fighting with the studio over the movie. This and guy. They were constantly <laughs> trying to change things and alter things. And it, it's kind of how American, the American studio system just works. Like you just hear stories all the time about people going in and they're trying to make a movie and they're like, I'm going to make this movie. And the studio's like, cool. And then they go to make the movie and the studio's like, you need to change this though because past trends, focus groups, future projections, we're trying to make We need to put narration in Blade Runner. People aren't going to get it. Yeah, we're <laughs> trying to create a specific thing that is... What, at, what this film creates is this idea of creating something that is critically successful and commercially successful. Mm -hmm. That is, like, gives the studio a sense of prestige and mystery that really, like, fuels all of this, that gives the studios their power, mm -hmm. essentially. Because if they just produced movies that, that made money, that was kind of what was damaging the reputation of the industry before, mm -hmm. like the new Hollywood movement, it was just making movies that were making money and the things that wound up coming out and really like making it and everything were kind of coincidences, like new things that were completely original just happened because there wasn't as much supervision or as yeah. much like pushback and New like it's it's happens. so easy to believe that Agnes Varda could have the whole career that she had because she wasn't part of that American studio system, you know. You have people the the, the magical things that came out of American mm -hmm. film were things that were coincidental. Like Citizen Kane happens and everybody's like, "Yeah, no, this is the best movie mm -hmm. that's ever been made," and you'll never make another one unsupervised again because it, there's mean, the thing that allows the studios to have power to be able to continue making money and be continue to have just like I don't know if I'm going to get slack or regret at some point in my life comparing the American studio systems to the mafia in this movie but that fragility of power mm -hmm. where having like the financial income coming in without the prestige of the film being art. If if film is not art, then they are a lot more susceptible to scrutiny. Yeah. Like we today, we might treat the studio systems the way that we treat game like studios. Yeah, I like was totally thinking of EA and distribution a lot of this. companies that are just like. Essentially, all of them are these soulish machines that are intending to produce capital and do as little as they can in in the pursuit of that goal, like constantly trying to produce money and like success in that realm. And like, and eventually, you run into 
essentially what happened to the MCU, which is where it like, oh, we were doing this and we were making money and everybody felt like they needed to see every movie. And so mm-hmm. all of a sudden people who don't normally see movies are seeing three movies a year because we're making them. Mm-hmm. And then that collapsed. Like has, has it really collapsed? I haven't looked at the people numbers. People aren't a vast majority of people are not as interested in actually watching MCU movies anymore. The shows are working because they've changed their format. I was going to say the TV shows are kind of still killing it. Yes, but people aren't going to go out. Like well, it, it was, we haven't, was this, we, we haven't seen how Black Widow's going to turn COVID. out, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, no. Uh, next month? It's not yeah, gonna. It's July. not gonna do anything. Dang. I mean, I'm per- perfectly fine eating my words if this happens, but the the feeling and the conversations that I'd have with people after Endgame happened, where people who were super into it or would see every single one mm-hmm. were like, "I'm done." I heard almost everybody that I talked to who weren't super big yeah. Marvel buffs were like, "I'm done." Well, they definitely offloaded a lot of people around that time. They've shoved that's them back. A, that's in the with same the time show, that I stopped. But they'll see the show. They won't go in person and watch the movies. Yeah. I I I feel like. I mean, Endgame was such like a big break point. Like, I feel like I'm okay being like mostly done now. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing is, is like, the, uh... the commercial success without the actually being interesting. People don't go back and watch those movies is another thing. I know a lot of people who... I know some people who go back like and, have, and have binge them. There's Guardians of the Galaxy that people watch. But I'll hear a lot of people be like, I've seen all of these once. Like, yeah. we, we, we have to remember that a lot of the people that we know are like... Not film buffs, mm-hmm. but like film people, you know, mm-hmm. like geeks, yeah. film geeks. Um, and, and so, sure, maybe those people have some bullshit opinion yeah. that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is the greatest action movie ever made. And well, Usually there, is, there are a handful of those movies that people will go back to. I yeah. know like Ragnarok, people Guardians Ragnarok. of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. maybe Winter Soldier, and the people who try and watch Civil War again... I and I don't understand them, but I, I they do it. Some I'll watch. Do that. I'll watch that Infinity War a bunch more times because uh, it works for me really well. I probably won't ever watch any of them again. Personally, no, not not I me. I might watch Ragnarok just because I'm invested in Taika Waititi. Yeah, that's yeah. it. But but that's the thing is is it gets to this point like there there is a breaking point between the the creative success and and the prestige success because you know maybe the farewell didn't make endgame money nobody thought it was going to Mm -hmm. but but you know who still talks about that movie and still watches it or oh i need to get around to that so many people Mm -hmm. and who's saying oh i need to get around to ant-man and the wasp (laughs) yeah well, and no one because that movie sucks, and Peyton Reed is a fucking boring director. As a Sorry. like, except culture, he's fine, though, I guess. Yeah. In The Mandalorian, he directed an episode of The Mandalorian that like ended up being one of the best ones. Interesting. I, anyway. I haven't bothered with that show because I haven't bothered with Star Wars in a while. But it's but that's okay. another show. But that's the way. I think the shows are eventually going to die out in the same way because Probably. there's this feeling yeah. people get so invested and well, they're the like, MC oh my gosh, you have Netflix to get into it. Netflix shows did the same thing where they started off and everyone was watching Daredevil, everyone was watching Jessica oh, yeah. Jones, and then some people watch Luke Cage. And like, It gets to the end your and, grandma watched and it's Iron forgettable yeah. and people don't care. Like but, that's what happened even, like that's what I heard with, uh, what's what's the name of that one, uh, WandaVision. Everybody was yeah. like, oh my gosh, you have to see it. It's like revolutionary. It's so cool. And the way it ends is like every other Marvel thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, you don't hear everybody complaining about it 
you just hear nothing. Yep. You hear it literally nothing. It completely disappears, and over. WandaVision doesn't exist anymore to the point where in the in the public consciousness you have a conversation with anybody, they're talking about it, I and now like, and none of I have not heard then. the name of that thing uh-huh. in months. That's yeah. that's but, the way that all this is engineered to work, and eventually it has to collapse again. But you people aren't going to just be wiser. The, the, the Loki show because it's got Owen Wilson in it. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, See, well, it, you do. But what I'm saying is, yeah, you do need the prestige. Like, yeah. you need PlayStation needs to have God of War or something. You mm-hmm. know, you need you need, to, you need to have those games, or or you know, um, Rockstar needs to have Red Dead Redemption Two. Mm-hmm. Controversial, maybe, but 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 it's a it's a critical success in a different way. You can have your Uncharted games if you're Naughty Talk, but you kind of need The Last of Us. Yeah, you could become a game studio like, I don't know, Disney Interactive, who just then produces like mobile games mm-hmm. and games that produce massive amounts of money, but without like something there that captures Without the art, culture. the audience can easily turn on you, I guess is the yeah. thing. Like, we feel stuck with like. A24, I think, does some things with their, their business practices that, that do annoy me. That mm-hmm. I think are, are arguably mm-hmm. almost shitty, and the like reason why Billie we don't Eilish talk about all it. of their movie trailers. <laughs> I'm a personal pet peeve, but like when that Saint Maud trailer was making its rounds last year, and I was watching so many movies mm-hmm. that ah uh, that wore out so quick, and the movie trailers are so long. Yeah, they're like twelve minutes each. That is hyperbole. They feel like twelve minutes each. They're like. Two, three, I, mm-hmm. and all of them could end. At, sorry, this is this is nothing we, to do with we anything. Are, we are way off in the weeds at this. Point. But but the but the point of that is, we don't complain too much about a twenty four practices in the way we c- complain about Disney practices because, well, mm. what if, what if the next thing is the lighthouse or a ladybird or or, or a gem? Fingers crossed for the Green Knight or the okay. Green Knight. What it's if the Green Knight's going to be? Uh, yeah, I, like I it's hope. at least trying to be interesting instead of just homogenized. Well, exactly. Yeah. It, we have a certain respect for the fact that it's not being... Even if it's bad, hopefully it can at least be interesting. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, but that that's the but that's kind of the point is that we, we give these companies, we give these sort of industries or whatever, we give yeah. them leeway if there is some kind of artistic merit outside yeah. of just the like personal enjoyment commercial thing. How are they going to sell themselves if they can't release like a classics trailer where they have like shots from movies that they produced 50 years ago that are like iconic and visually striking. Right. Well, that's the interesting thing. Yeah. Yeah. Warner brothers being like, look it, we're the, you know, we're the guys, you know, from all those. And it's like, no, you're, I mean, you're not like nothing about it is the same and, and we're not being fooled by that. But for some reason, like, you know, obviously the creator of, of some certain A24 movie is not the same creator as some other A24 movie and not the mm-hmm. people who are really in charge of doing weird things with distribution and mm-hmm. not the people that are making sure that The Lighthouse and First Cow and Lady Bird will never be on Criterion. Uh, you know, it's fine. 
Yeah. It's not. It's not no, fine. And they charge a lot for their movies. And then they have deluxe editions that sell out instantly that they do this like, oh, we're doing a limited release, even though we know what the demand is. And we're going to yeah. keep making sure that they're very low. So then we can charge a lot more for them. And then do you want the $50 edition of this thing? And then, oh, we're doing books, but oh, we're not aware that people would be interested in them. So they're going to be ridiculous. Although, so we are a bit slavishly devoted to one capitalist industry that just happens to have specifically good graphic design and movie selections and shit uh, while ragging on Disney and uh, A24 and and stuff. Like, it is... Are you saying that we're all criterion shills and so it doesn't matter? No, no. I'm not saying that it doesn't matter. I'm just saying that, like... Well, the, the thing is, Criterion does half-off sales. I <laughs> think that Criterion And the reason why things go out bit, of print is because they don't have the rights anymore. I, I feel so weird because, like, I think that a lot of aspects of how, like, great and consumer-friendly the Criterion is kind of masks the fact that it, too, is also just, like based around a niche business like yeah all of this is true. based around like but they totally listen to people specifically like there were it, yeah like, you could complain about criterion like two years ago because there wasn't enough african-american representation and there still isn't but when they announce a list of movies that they're adding almost all of them are african-american films or african films they are they're they're fully yeah. they... investing themselves into the critique that they've gotten they just sent out the September list. Yep. Uh, I was just uh, looking through that. What's on there? Got some pretty uh, cool one, looking stuff. Um, uh, at least two very African-American led chill projects. Melvin yeah. Van Peebles. It's not all like, cause like two, three years ago you could be like, they have a few Spike Lee movies mm-hmm. and that's it. And that's just not even, a, that's not the case anymore. Yeah. Well, so is it proportional? Probably not. They might still have more Swedish films. Have a lot of work to do. If they wanted to. Do I that. really love Criterion and the fact that like I can go on to their streaming service and find interesting, unique pieces of art from around the world that I would have had to like sort through mountains of nonsense to try and watch otherwise. And so that's that's it's all great, of the artistic merit. It it is also like a bit gatekeepy because you're like, so who gets to define what has artistic merit, and like, are there? I, I think Criterion's pretty good about this. Like, they do have a lot of movies that aren't prestige they have movies. more people complaining about the th- that they don't have like that they have films in there that aren't prestige than they do yeah like, but also it's but it's, sometimes they will just like oh martin scorsese made it is, is this sort of mindset of the how are we actually viewing film and are we viewing art as a culture right now in the f- place in late stage capitalism that we're currently living and art and especially film, but most all art right now, is first and foremost something that we consume. Yeah, like, can we really talk about art when it's so heavily invested in 
like consumerism and materialism and stuff or is it like well, well that's the thing is i i wonder because a lot of people talk about that. is that well yeah that's my question because i've heard you know there's that quote that you brought up one time that really pissed me off that so i had Which to like one? write about it there was this quote that was like film will never be like a true oh, artistic that's a friend's, uh there there was been like half a dozen people that that was a uh attributed to i think the one i specifically think of was from francis ford coppola the director of this film (laughs) where he once said that he can't wait for the day that like a little girl in georgia makes the greatest film ever made Mm. uh and he says that like film will never truly be art uh until the tools of the production of film are as common and available as a pen and paper and i and i get some of the point of that like I, I mm-hmm. I'm all the way on board with the accessibility of mm-hmm. artistic mediums. That's not a problem for me. What is a problem for me is is deciding that something is art. And it's weird to say this as somebody who's like, like I'll just come out now. I'm a socialist, but mm-hmm. it, it's weird. It's weird to say this as a socialist. But I do not think that that artistic merit has to be divorced from all economic factors to be art. Like, I, I, I don't think that that's fair because in that case, video games, the only video game that has ever existed that has any artistic merit is Stardew Valley. That's the only video game. <laughs> so... Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I you could never say thing. anything about The Last of Us or God of War or yeah. or those ones that ha- get all the critical acclaim. You could never say anything about any Nintendo game that's ever been made. You can't say anything about any big budget, any AAA game. There's and you can't say things about a lot of indie I've... games. If Devolver is publishing it, then you can't talk yeah. about that anymore. I, 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 I very much agree with you here. And the, the question that I always have whenever anyone tries to define what art is and or isn't is that like art as a concept is i believe just inherently a bit nebulous because it is a word and a concept that has not been created as a part of a linear like cohesive system like the color blue is the color blue because cohesively as a people we decided that the color blue is this way and it's such a fundamental part of our lives and our experiences that it becomes a stable concept and whereas art as a concept as a word is a fundamentally unstable concept Mm -hmm. whenever anyone tries to define what art is they always wind up excluding or not being able to fully define it because it has the the word art and what art means to people is is not a set thing and we want to revoke the license of something being art based off of the ethics of a thing often and mm-hmm. it it's 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 the same way as like i don't know it's like a kid who like tries to like steal from the cookie jar and then you're like, okay, well, you're not a kid anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. It does like that doesn't that doesn't do anything. It, one, you're you're just wrong, and two, that doesn't like if you're like no, a kid 
is somebody who is not stealing from the cookie jar actually that doesn't it like it has no value well that is even, not a definition that has any value because it doesn't actually address the issue if the issue is the kid stealing from the cookie jar let's deal with the kid stealing from the cookie jar instead of trying to say well that's not a kid then if that's well, what's happening even beyond and that, and because kid is an inherent good then we will all try to pursue kid outside okay. of the cookie jar actually like so it doesn't make sense tap on this okay you're like if we think of like kid as an inherent good when we talk about art many people talk about art as uh, they are deliberately excluding or including things from the description of art or like more specifically like cinema art mm -hmm. based off of the idea that something being art makes it necessarily better like mm -hmm. that the concept of art is like oh, it it now has a purpose. It now is fundamentally more important now that it is art. But I don't even think that mindset is necessarily wide enough and, like, objective enough for that to even be the case. Because, like, can art be bad then? Like, yeah, if art is I mean, just a thing a person makes if art that is has bad, a purpose is that bad? <laughs> like yeah like it it's so nebulous and trying to define things based off of whether or not they're art feels like a practice not of really trying to determine something's merit but rather its value right and it's it's, it's not so like, impossible to actually quantify that we end up having these ridiculously roundabout conversations about it. It just is. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to define, and maybe it's impossible to to define. But it's like, ineffable. Well, what it's does that mean? It's in unable to be effed. <laughs> <laughs> nice, uh, but but yeah, I don't know this movie makes me think about that because it's something that everybody considers art, mm. but also, yeah. but also why? Like, I don't disagree, yeah. but also why? And yeah, I, I guess I get that when, when you deal with things that are so culturally huge, but also work like what, mm -hmm. what is it? Like, you know, why is Van Gogh? Yeah. Well, and also I think that is perfectly like, acceptable for someone to watch the godfather that is a good piece of cinema as far as being technically competently produced uh acted in a prof professional effective manner like you can sit through all of this and not like it and not enjoy it and maybe even like not necessarily gain value out of it and that's, like, something that I think we have trouble dealing with sometimes when yeah. in film discussion, because of how toxic film and communities are rough. a lot of conversations around this can be, like, we're even a bit like that. We're like, no, so people who have committed specifically sexual or sexually violent actions if you are pedophilic created films uh 
we aren't necessarily all that interested in your contributions to film art as a whole because we do not want to like perpetuate the power that those people and ideas continue to have in the culture Mm -hmm. because it is kind of making like this argument that because they made good art you don't have to read it this way and most people don't because they're like yeah Woody Allen did bad things but that doesn't make his art bad and you're like no it doesn't but also it is kind of saying Woody Allen is allowed to keep making movies and keep making popular movies and keep making successful movies despite things that he's done because we like them and that that is the only real thing that matters to the movie. Yeah. And we can allow these people to have power over like culture and thought and money because and they can honestly like keep them. doing those shitty things. Like that's the interesting thing about Woody Allen. It's not like the shit that Woody Allen did is all in the past. You know? Like mm. he he's he's still a bad person. He still does bad things and is gross. Yeah, uh I'd say literally everyone does that, but specifically right. there is uh, I I draw the line at patterns of abuse that are facilitated by the power that individual has. Right. Well, that that's exactly what I'm saying. Because is, is he's allowed to do this shit. Yeah. Because his movies were successful, and he's still allowed to do this shit because his movies are successful. And characters like we're just gonna name names of a bunch of uh, people that I I don't necessarily want to think about all that often but like harvey weinstein or someone like kevin spacey they were able or luke basson were able to do the things they did because they had so much power in the role of a director and of a cultural figure uh even people who are far more like contentious like michael michael jackson Mm -hmm. like they, their cultural capital facilitated the the ability to have to be to be be able to have that control and power over people. And J.K. Rowling, um, <laughs> I'd add J.K. Rowling in there. Um, no, yeah, but, but uh, that's the thing mm-hmm. is, is is that's the only time people are talking about death of the author. Like people mm-hmm. do not care about the idea of death of the author. And they discover death of the author. They look it up and then they defend the concept of death of the author as mm. soon as they want to be able to enjoy something that perpetuates yeah. the power of someone that's doing well, something despicable or indefensible. Let's be honest here. The only time any of us actually apply theory is when we're trying to defend something that we already <laughs> think is right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's generally true. I'm only going to bring up color theory when I'm telling you that Hellboy 2 is actually half decent don't get angry at me for loving hellboy too like otherwise i'll just watch something and be like yeah it's it's not it's i I, yeah it has bad color theory here and whatever it it doesn't impact me (laughs) yeah and i guess maybe that's what it is is like art is hard to define (laughs) 
<laughs> so we get into these yeah. these we we argue and defend and fight and research only really to prove what it is that the the thing whatever it is that we felt rather than what? actually like it being and i mean i know that there's stuff to say about art that's a that's a value i'm an english major i wrote a thesis on movies or whatever like there's stuff of value to say and it's fun and it's an enjoyable experiment intellectually and whatever and that's fine but there is an extent to which i feel like conversations around art should be one is it ethical to enjoy two how does it affect me and i and i feel like those two questions can answer a lot of the arguments that we get into i don't need to fight with somebody over whether rogue one was gritty enough it worked for me in that way and that's fine and sometimes it's fun to have an intellectual debate and whatever and then in in the case of rogue one other than the fact that it's you know disney it's a big corporation whatever there's nothing too unethical about it's not perpetuating some kind of misogyny the director isn't a piece of shit you know in general it's mostly fine it's an ethical thing to enjoy and that does answer the important questions right am i wrong about this because i'm not trying to boil it down too much i don't think you're necessarily wrong i think that your perspective is fairly coherent but like i i i think that there are a number of levels on which that we can discuss and talk about like creations things that people have created things yes. that are like art that that's basically how i i define art i i say it like anything someone creates i just call it art because i just mean i don't think the term has all that much power or I, anything I'm, like that i'm not saying but, that there's nothing else of value oh, no, but no, no, i'm no, saying no. as far as arguments go over film like well arguments about film are fun that's why we have them yes like but sometimes they so, aren't fun and sometimes they're yeah. people who are trying to destroy each other on forums or on letterboxd or people are just being dicks and assholes and that's what we see a lot of times in film communities it's 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 so often it's rarely fun in games and it's all this gatekeeping and ultimately what these people need to know in my opinion is one <laughs> is it ethical and how did, did it affect me personally and and i and i feel like that's the, those are just the i i think to have an enjoyable time talking about things that matter you have to have like okay but what is actually really important i, I think you know what i mean i i think that that's 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 like fine some and kind of probably in, in in like create understanding i think that partially addresses what i see as the root problem and partially maybe doesn't the the main thing is what are people actually seeking to like gain out of having arguments or even talking about film in general mm -hmm. like what is their motivation what what is creating all of these arguments and problems and a lot conflicts? of times it's just they enjoyed something that you didn't or well, whatever that's you know? that that's the reason why you're having the argument but like the philosophy and the mentality behind why the argument's even happening is something different. It's the, why are you being so mean-spirited or refusing to see the other person's point of view to the extent that you are? And I think that part of that is the mindset that you have about what even the point of all this is. 
because yeah. some people are going into it to assert individuality in a society and a world that per- that provides very limited avenues for how to have people <laughs> become and assert themselves. It's it is funny how many people in in the search for their own individuality are like so aggressively like everybody needs to like the same things that i do which is like that's not individual you know like i (laughs) like oh i'm i'm a film person i like film my identity is whatever all of you need to like tokyo story fuck you i i I guess i i talk i bring back tokyo story because like that's the thing is like ultimately it's fun to have the discussions over what i think works and what is valuable and whatever but like ultimately it isn't a big deal that I was the only one on that episode that enjoyed it because it's just, it worked for me. What? It didn't work for yeah. other people. And there's, 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 that's actually, there's no friction there. The, the, yeah. There isn't actually any point of contact in it worked for me. It didn't yeah. work for that person. It doesn't actually meet. Those yeah. are entirely individual experiences. Well, and there is also, there are a number of perspectives. I don't think it's just identity because there is a type of film goer and, a film person who approaches film in much the way that my grandma approaches grammar. She was an ex English teacher, substitute teacher. And the, the view of grammar as English grammar as, as an immutable truth, which which, is so funny. (laughs) And it requires a certain ignorance to the way that English language develops Uh and constantly changes. And, has like strange nonsensical rules because much of it is just stolen haphazardly from other areas like latin grammar bolted onto english because aristocratic academics wanted to have some sort of grammar that they could enforce and they you can watch grammar. a swedish or Nor- norwegian movie and there will be sentences in that movie that you will 100 percent fully understand yeah so you know, like it there, it's such a weird amalgamation. It, there's a lot of weird stuff there, but a lot of people, like, s- there is a sense to where being able to establish objective truth in every field is a way of applying meaning to the universe. And so seeing films as objectively good or objectively bad... It has to fit and, the formula, or it's bad. Like, or Parasite sucks, you know? Not going beyond the point of just recognizing motifs and specific visual devices mm-hmm. and then saying that there are specific ways that will that just objectively do not function yeah uh, on on any level and therefore the film is uh I, and this is someone who is arguing in bad faith saying that because the film fails in this area it is not worthy of of being it is mm-hmm. like they talk about it almost as if it is a destruction of truth and and life and of of a morality of yeah. like truth through action whereas there are a lot of people who just like are actually making good faith arguments about this and saying hey so this is there are basic tools of film language and if you don't like have a knowledge of that and an understanding of that you can do things that just don't make sense and for a lot of people 
will watch it and it just won't feel right and it won't really work. And that's just kind of a general rule and you can break it. And that doesn't mean that the film is worthless mm-hmm. and you can't enjoy it or you won't have people who really connect with it. Well, you know what's interesting but, in academia is like it, this, these conversations don't happen in academia normally. In 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 my experience, in in rhetorical or literary criticism, in in any of the avenues that I've read, or in any of the film mm. criticism I've read, the conversation of is blah 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 good is just not something that I've ever heard. Like I, it's yeah. a question that isn't actually brought up. What is is the tools that we have and the styles of criticism that that we uh-huh. have are brought up to talk about what the film does. Or maybe to create off of the film. Oftentimes it's it's creating off of the film. The film is the jumping off point from mm. which we can yeah. synthesize with other things. Well, that's what academia is anyways. It's, it's, it's creation of essentially like a different form of art by mm-hmm. breaking down and deconstructing another piece of creation. And like... A lot it's of times... Like, Okay, an academic essay is like sampling on a mixtape. Uh, Am I going to regret this analogy later? I don't know. Definitely. Uh, But in the moment, it's like, no, like when rappers take a riff from like a rap, uh, a rock song or something, you have like old time road stealing Mm -hmm. a nine inch nails like bridge. Hmm. Yeah, that's what that like musical melody was huh. from. It's from a Nine Inch Nail song. That's weird. Uh, and but like adding and creating off of it, like that sort of remix of it. Uh, I I don't think my any of my old English teachers would like me very much right now. <laughs> but that's kind of what academia is, right? I think a lot of people would agree. I I mean, okay. I, yeah, I, <laughs> I it is it is kind of that. It's it's its own different style of creation mm. um, is, is the way that I've seen it described in a lot of what I've been reading recently. But yeah, what we're doing right now is a different form of creation. Mm-hmm. We're watching a beautiful, touching, uh, interesting film and making a bad co- podcast out of it. Making a bad podcast. It's what we what? do. It's what we do. It's our form of synthesis. It, 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 it is our, our art. Yeah. But, but, it's our creation. I don't know. Um, <laughs> okay. But that's the interesting thing is, is like, I don't know. Like the way that our culture is set up is so heavily like utilitarian mm. in the sense that it, it does put value on things. Mm. It doesn't, it doesn't explore things. There's no value. Like, okay. If you're out there and you're, you're camping and you're living in the wilderness mm. or whatever. When are you the determining value? Like, it, it, you know what I mean? Well, I, I mean, if you're my dad, you're going out into the wilderness and saying, wow, isn't God good? Sure. Yeah. Look at how beautiful God shit is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but is, is he yeah. like, I, I mean, I, I guess my, my point is more like, in common daily existence, common daily existence is not structured based off of some sort of, you know, Y slash N 
true slash false or 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 ten point like one through ten is this good like what score am I giving aspect of life I would like we're used to kind of doing agree that now. with you yeah but a lot of criticisms of postmodernism as a thought process are kind of based off of the assumption that if you at all question structures or anything that is seen as true it is if if you deny the fact that there is an objective truth to literally everything and every scenario then you are uh destroying reality or just erasing reality to some extent like that this feels that is those are the arguments that i constantly hear whereas if you actually break it down from the perspective of someone who does not believe in objective truth whether or not something is entirely true it's like something no one's saying that there aren't that everything is just nebulously untrue all the time. No, there are degrees of certainties. There are textures of truth. We we can like without rejecting the concept that we even exist in the state that we can cons- that we consist in. All of us have to, on some level, accept the fact that the information that we are being given is accurate to be able to live in what the existentialist would call living in good faith. Right. So to actually be able to exist and interact with our world in a state of good faith, we need to accept certain things as having a greater degree of certainty and certain things as having a lesser degree of certainty. Yeah. And understanding the fact that there are things that we don't, we can accept the fact that we don't know for certain, I think is, is like far more responsible than just saying no so you can literally know the truth of everything you can have certainty in all these aspects of your lives and what that winds up actually representing and manifesting itself as is being able to dehumanize people that 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 is the the core thing that i see having certainty in every area of your life allows you to remove others humanity as as a yeah. as a full thing the people who are are not working for what you see as a greater good or you are able to do evil to be able to fulfill a greater good that you have a certainty in as opposed to being forced to see everyone as 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 possibly right in a number of areas as you are now you can the degree of certainty that you have determines like i i think how seriously you should take certain complaints like there is such a thing as occam's razor while it is possible the entire world was created last thursday and only made to appear as old it is unlikely to the extent that the the possibility isn't really worthy of consideration Right. Outside of fun thought experiments that you have while tipsy with your friends on Thursday night? Yeah, well, okay, that's the thing. I feel like I there's a lot of debate of people, you know, 
armchair philosophy kind of debate mm. between the like objective truth and the life is gray dude stuff. And I might be putting my foot in my mouth here, but I think the only pr- people that have problems with that idea of postmodernism are just modernists. Like, like I don't think that this is from the amount of historical whatever that I've done. I don't think that the, the idea of things being kind of gray in lots of areas is completely foreign and objectionable to people throughout history. It's, it it is very much a, it it feels function of, it feels very like tied to and utilitarianism fundamentalism specifically in american religious traditions Some specifically of that. in that 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 sort of thing yeah. I, I i feel like this is kind of a conversation for later like like or, or like another podcast at this point as we're probably crouching into our second hour of recording but <sighs> but i do i do want to say the main point of me kind of critiquing utilitarianism is that we're so used to we get we get mm. grades Mm-hmm. you know in school which is weird when you think about it it's an mm-hmm. it's an a through an f system we're used to giving everything a score and so we need to assign value to a to a movie yeah. or to a piece of art we and, cannot and know the thing unless we categorize it yeah and measure it against other things and that is which that's is, weird and fundamentally kind of opposed to the way that art works and it's not the way that that like criticism in in any form generally works and that's not the mm. way that academia actually works it's it's imposed upon academia because school systems say you need to give grades and most teachers do not like that you know but yeah um, because because it's not how it need works. to have their little like oh our students are so much smarter than your students sort mm-hmm. of like it's all things there it's all part of a, a, a which is why like they're constantly like changing system. the standards of education to make the overall grades of the country look better right because uh they can't teach for shit Mm -hmm. the things that they want to teach because they're trying to utilitarianly push everything everyone through a system to make their country look smart and make their workforce productive yeah and i feel like the higher you get into education the more you realize that like it's actually it's a hundred percent not what matters at all. Like, no. like the the grade is never what matters. Um, it it ha- it really has pretty much no relation to anything that matters to you in your life. Yeah. Um, and and teachers know this, and students know this if they're paying attention. And that's that's just the way that it works. But but we're still used to doing this with movies and whatever. I guess the the ultimate point of that of saying any of that is Godfather is a standard it is something that we compare things by and yes while sometimes it's used as a yardstick or or a measuring stick by which to beat other movies for some reason i don't know why it's it's a movie it works we're kind of designed a little bit we're influenced to think that it works this is so influential on the way that we think movies are and it's good that's weird i like (laughs) i'm not terribly compelled by the subject matter I find the sequel thoroughly mediocre because ninety uh, percent of what I like in this movie is the lighting, and the lighting changes in the second one in a way that is thematically appropriate, 
but also removes the lighting that I like from the first movie. That and so I don't sad. like it very much. It's a good movie. Don't really like it. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it too. Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> um, but we should wrap up. Um, yeah. The, yeah. The I think thing, uh, it's actually probably Pacific one of my Rain favorite Boy ones. tuned out like an hour ago I'm when sorry. we started talking about I, I philosophy. Lost. It's all right. And lost the you just, you know, you get to that no, point where you have like, to pull out the social <laughs> medias and just okay. like. No, I, I don't know. That's the kind of thing that I just, I, I'm not smart enough to have really thoughts and opinions on that kind of thing. But it was good. Ah. It was all right. Uh, yeah, movie. You're fine. Movie, movie. You've, you've thought. I think there's definitely like. I think this needs to be cut down a size for sure. But yeah, I'll so I'm sorry that you have to listen back to it. Again. It's okay. Maybe it that's why you tune out when we record podcasts, is because you know you have to listen to it again. And yeah, like, I you don't, know. Don't want. I don't want to do this. It's okay. again. Yeah. It's okay. Um, but anyway, work. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Find a quote. Hope Ooh, you had a good you time. Go. Oh, I didn't do the quote. Uh, you yeah, can yeah, find, we'll find us. Find it. At <laughs> You can find us at movieoverloadpod.com. We have our our Twitter that we don't use, our Instagram that we don't use, our Patreon that we don't use, our email that we don't use. Uh, um, A letterbox that we use sporadically whenever people remember to update it. I still don't think last week's entry, I don't Uh, think Carol's mod got put up yet. That's on me. Yeah, whatever. Are you the one who usually does it? Yeah, no, it's me. Okay. It's just that I only have it logged in in one browser and I don't sometimes want to. Yeah. Anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel it, uh, but yeah, uh, we all do have individual letterboxed accounts. I have uh, allergies. Don't, you too. don't need to look at our opinions on Wait. stuff. Uh, <laughs> I rate things, but it's it's totally meaningless. I, I, so same I here. I, I just go it's off just the of general vibes. It's the thing I do vibes. compulsively, week, I don't believe in I them. was like, yeah, I think Speed Racer is a five-star movie for me. Uh I made that decision. Nice. That is a decision I made this week, and I'll stand by. I also raised Castle in the Sky to five stars. It's so good. Uh, it's... Yeah. I think Castle in the Sky I love that movie. works. Uh, this is, like, I five-star rating scale. There aren't enough, like, little layer. Like, you could rate everything against each other and stack each other up. Like, what do any of the ratings even mean? I don't know. I ranked all... 1300 films that i've seen it's entirely objective based off of their yeah whenever mathematical I tr- quality as films whenever i try i just constantly second guess because i'm like well like did i enjoy cruella more than 2001 a space odyssey probably had a better time but it, like the it's lighting's more, not nearly as good it's more conventionally entertaining perhaps yeah like there are many yeah. layers on which i enjoy things uh columbus hurts me uh, I like I, I I very much am glad that I've seen that movie twice, uh, but it hurts me. And like, does that mean that it's it's bad for me because it hurts me, or is it only making me stronger? <laughs> That's a good point. It's a five for me. I give fives to almost every Jim Jarmusch movie. If you want to follow me on which Letterboxd. is objectively <laughs> correct, honestly, Fine. it's all good. Uh, Ghost Dog is a masterpiece. It kind of, you know. Dead Don't Die is. is a masterpiece. For me, it is. Patterson is okay. I <laughs> it's a masterpiece. <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, I love it. There's, there's always a, like if anybody has seen a Jim Jarmusch movie, at least one. If if they've seen one or more, they will defend whatever that movie is to the death. <laughs> I know a lot of people who don't like Jim Jarmusch. 
any of them i usually i know people who are like eh, i don't know but there's always one that they like like it's de- maybe it's dead man or or maybe in a lot of people's case it's only lovers left alive but they i don't know and i've never met somebody who has seen a jarmish movie i know a bunch of people and doesn't who like any of them really well m- i don't know anyone who's uh who doesn't like them. i know that people who just like, like coffee and cigarettes uh yeah that's See, that's a weird take for me because that's like my least favorite movie of his, you know? Yeah, but there's always one that somebody mm-hmm. is just like, this is it. It just works for people. Anyway, um, but thanks for <laughs> thanks for watching <laughs> this whatever. It started off very structured and by the end it was <laughs> whatever the podcast turns into normally. Yeah. Uh, and, and as we say at the end of every episode, this is the thing we say every single time. <gasps> Look how they massacre. You were, oh, I was so sure you were going to say, don't forget the cannoli. Don't forget the cannoli. Ah. <laughs> oh, what a missed opportunity. You know, You're right, Okay, though. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that was my but last The thing. boy as in the I, podcast, you mean? Yeah, yeah yes, I kind of was thinking that. I was like, this could actually be like kind uh, of referential. Yeah. Um, I did like that, though. And that, thinking about, like, oh, hearing, like, forgetting how he had delivered that line and then just seeing it as a meme for a mm-hmm. long time and then hearing it again, I was like, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. But it also, for some reason, remembering that made me also remember that I really liked, I think it's in like one of the first, the first scene or two mm. when he's dealing with someone asking for a, a favor request and they leave and he shuts the door and just gives that little like, oh. yeah, and then it cuts away to something <laughs> else. And I was just like, that was good. That was such a movie. I really like I'd that. love that. <laughs> like that character works so well for me. I, I kind of love him. And there's yeah. a bit where I'm like, I might be scared of him a little bit, but I also want him to be my granddad. Yeah. Like (laughs) there's something really safe about like all of the characters in the family. Like all of them are like, you would want to be their family member. Right. Cause you know, they got your back, you know, and they talks about how he like spoils his son or he's like, my soft spot is my kids or or whatever. (laughs) It's cute. Anyway, that's the end. (laughs) I, Oh, I should mention I am, um, I'm French Italian, so oh, everything yeah. I said on this movie is objectively correct as far as anything uh, can be. Oh we didn't even bother to mention the fact that they're like really <laughs> weird, weirdly casually racist. Yeah, a few that's times. so true. Sonny would say the N word. Uh, oh yeah, he did. That yeah. was gross. Just and like there's that whole on. scene where like all the crime bosses are like, "We don't want to do drugs." But, like, if we sold them to black people, we wouldn't mind? Because we don't respect them as humans. I I wonder how much of that, and I guess probably all of that, comes from the fact that it's an adaptation of a novel that's, like, about a specific era in history in which it was incredibly racist or whatever. It, it, it It's It's not a film that condones that, which is... Which is the only reason why I note that is because... A lot of the racist films that we've talked about on this podcast seem to condone racism. It, it doesn't. It doesn't seem to specifically like, condone that. And it's Civil War movies talking about the Civil War are very Confederate for some reason on know. this podcast. There's a there's a weird bit of it though that it's like the okay. Uh, this uh, the this podcast so... is almost three hours long. It needs to end. Uh, I'm not no, kidding. It's two hours I and know. forty minutes. I know. I, we can't even finish this. There. The, the Italian immigrant people are so...